Welcome to Collateral Insights, a JP Morgan Collateral Services podcast series bringing in the latest thought leadership, best practices and trends impacting the securities, finance and collateral ecosystem. My name is Katie Emerson and I am based in London in the platform sales organization at JP Morgan, leading the sales effort for our collateral management products here in Europe. And I have the pleasure of moderating today. I'm very pleased to be joined by Rob Evans, America's Head of Collateral Management, and Sagar Patel, the America's Head of our Tri-Party product, both of which fall under our Collateral Services banner as part of our trading services business here at JP Morgan. Today, we'll be speaking about a very current topic, the one of the uncleared margin rules, also known as UMR or SEGIM, and we'll be exploring some key themes innovative developments and lessons learned from previous phases of the regulation. This is a very hot topic in the market as phase five went live on the 1st of September 2021 and the final phase of the regulation phase six will go live on the 1st of September 2022. The segregated initial margin rules commenced in September 2016 and has been a phased in implementation based on participants aggregate average notional amount, the ANA which is inclusive of all of their affiliates. As we head into phase six, the ANA amount is 8 billion, which brings into scope over 700 entities globally across insurers, fund managers, pension funds, hedge funds, and regional banks. So welcome, Sagar and Rob. Thanks, Katie. Great to have you both. Welcome, Rob. Thank you. So, Sagar, starting with the basics and to lay the foundations, what are the common solutions out there today for posting initial margin? Just from a custodial perspective, there's a couple solutions. One being tri-party, which was the main solution adopted by the earlier phases. Traditionally, tri-party is used to optimize eligibility tests and post-collateral for repo and securities loans. But back in 2016, phase one counterparties started posting initial margin via tri-party as those firms were already connected to tri-party in one shape or form. And also, tri-party is pretty versatile and automated, so it was the obvious solution at that point. The other custodial solution is, is third-party accounts. Right? These are simple control accounts where the specific collateral movements are instructed, deliveries and receives in and out by the parties and doesn't have the extra functionality of tri-parties such as optimization, eligibility testing, and so forth. Those accounts start to be more widely used after the initial phases. Now, what's not a custodial solution, but more of an approach is the internal versus outsourcing. Many firms started to think about their overall approach to collateral management in general since they're now required to post something new, which is initial margin. So when overall, I mean saying anything from cleared, uncleared, variation margin, initial margin. Also, should they use external vendors for some components of the process? Should they outsource middle office and back office functions? So pretty much thinking about and reassessing the broader operating workflow. We've seen many firms using the reg requirement as a catalyst to change their workflow and uh, utilize new solutions. And in terms of how the solutions have evolved since phase one, Rob, can you tell us a bit more what we're seeing in this space? Yeah, thanks, Katie. I think building on what Saga said, in phases one to four, we really largely saw firms managing the process via tri-party and then also managing a lot of the operational aspects of UMR themselves 
utilizing like in-house solutions. I think with phase five, there's definitely been more of a mix. So we've seen some clients using the tri-party solution as with phases one to four, but then also seeing some use the third-party solution where they're posting collateral into third-party accounts and receiving collateral in tri-party. So I think for some, like the operational kind of nuances of setting that up have been challenging. We've also seen a greater demand for having one integrated solution that covers all aspects of the requirements. So that's everything from calculating the requirement either via SIM or or grid, managing resulting disputes and reconciliations that happen off the back of that, and then also managing that process of messaging between the different custodians for third-party accounts and the the tri-party agents. What we see is offering like a menu of services that the organisations can kind of pick and choose. In addition to all the things I just talked about there, there's some sort of value-add services that, that are out there where firms can either monitor their thresholds in relation to initial margin and then also you know have pre-trade analytics where they can assess what the impact of a trading decision could be and then finally another new one we've seen is around like mobilization of collateral so having the ability to easily move collateral between a custodial location and then either a tri-party agent or a, a third-party control account taking into consideration other trading decisions that that, that counterparty or client may be operating under. So I think that really we're seeing that trend continue into phase six. And, you know, all of those themes are really being brought to the forefront when we speak to clients that are coming into scope. Thanks, Rob. And I know certainly here in Europe, and I'm sure it's the same for you in the Americas, we commonly get asked what, you know, specific considerations do we think are going to be important for firms heading into phase six? Is there anything specifically, you know, that clients should be thinking about as we move into this next phase? I think this concept of forbearance is at the forefront at the moment and and forbearance being able to continue to trade with a counterparty following the September 1st deadline, but without the documentation, as long as you keep yourself below the thresholds and you're able to to manage getting into compliance as you approach that threshold. In conjunction with having efficient processes for monitoring things that we really see being at the forefront with the level set on that 50 million margin threshold, it can be allocated across entities. So another thing that we've seen in phase five, and again, expect to see in phase six, is that firms that are operating multiple entities will try and allocate that threshold efficiently in order to be able to stay below the threshold for as long as possible and to really apply the largest thresholds to the entities that have the most trading activity. Leading into that then is if you are going to go down the route of forbearance and you are going to try and delay impact, and the ability to be able to monitor as you're approaching that threshold is really, really important. And, you know, we see a lot of firms utilizing the Vicadia threshold monitoring tool in order to do that. One of the options is to be able to use broker calculations rather than actually doing the calculations yourself, which on the face of it, it seems like a great idea, but it can present a bit of a challenge in that not all counterparties out there are feeding their calculations to that tool. If that's something that's being considered, it's definitely worth checking with counterparties up front. There are a lot of benefits to actually doing your own calculation upfront anyway. So firstly, you're obviously prepared should you cross the threshold at any point. But then it also opens us up to things like analytics, which I mentioned a moment ago. So analytics being what-if tools that allow you to really assess the impact of placing a new trade with a particular counterparty. Look at how you allocate trades across counterparties as you're approaching those thresholds to really delay or reduce your impact understand where you'll be following the impact of, of executing that trade. And finally, if you are going for monitoring only, then obviously you really need to plan for 
the length of time that it is going to take you to get the required documentation and processes in place and to really factor that into your plans overall. Thanks, Rob. That was like, very helpful as clients are looking ahead to phase six and thinking about sort of key considerations over the coming months. Because what, one of the topics that comes up again and again is eligibility and sourcing eligible collateral. How have firms in the earlier phases thought about funding of collateral and, and what options do you see existing as we move forward? Again, there's kind of definite differences between phases one to four and, and what we've seen in phase five. So one to four, we primarily saw you know high-grade government securities being utilised. With phase five, definitely opened up to a slightly broader portfolio of securities, more interest in corporate bonds, more interest in equities. It's worth remembering that there really is quite a broad range of securities that are eligible under the rules. Some other context is that some buy-side firms we've spoken to have traditionally only used cash for variation margin, not really that familiar with the process of using securities in the first place. Is that something that's very new for them to be able to get set up operationally in order to do that? You know, there's considerations for using alternative collateral types like equities and corporate bonds. So needing to have the operating processes to manage the recalls of those assets, should there be like a corporate action upcoming on, on those securities, they are also subject to concentration limits, which some firms may not be familiar with. And it's important to be able to have your know, systems and operational processes to manage those at all. I think on the kind of sourcing side of things, we all talk about there being ever increasing demands on firm sources of collateral. And I think that this is definitely going to be a challenge for some. There is demand for firms looking at agents to help them enter into collateral transformation trades in order to be able to source the, the right types of collateral. When you're going down that route, though, you know, of integrating either a financing strategy and, and lending alongside managing securities collateral, what you really need is efficient processes to make sure that you don't have conflicts on the same types of securities. So collateral mobilization becomes really important there. So I think it's with that backdrop that we talk about also convergence of varying collateral transactions the need to really carefully manage securities across different types of obligations and across liquidity and yield generating activity. Firms can look to custodians to help them manage that integrated agency financing and collateral management solution. Sagar, I'd be keen to hear from you what you see as some of the key developments from a product functionality perspective in this space. What's changed? There's been a lot of developments since phase one. Can I hand over to you to give us a few highlights? Overall the evolution of the phases. One of the key ones for us was uh, this, what we call the affiliate rule solution. We're one of the first custodians to create it. Actually, we have uh, three solutions specifically. And what the affiliate rule is, it's a provision to avoid wrong rate risk when the third-party custodian is involved on either side of the trade, where an affiliate of the custodian is party to the trade specifically. Right. So the account holding the collateral must be totally independent of the counterparties involved in the underlying trade. Now, most custodians are impact, right? Because most custodians have large trading the most, where their affiliates are trading these derivatives and are facing counterparties or the clients of the custodian. Right? So to address this, we created a few solutions that will satisfy the rule requirement while minimizing the impact to our clients. We'll continue to manage 100% of our clients' collateral right, and all the processes associated with it, but onward pledge the affiliate-related collateral to an independent so These are the three solutions and asset locations that I referred to. We're using the brains of tri-party, eligibility testing, optimization, but we're using a bilateral settlement model where we're setting the collateral, that's for the affiliate, to independent location. Now, also, you know, besides having that collateral independent location, also what's very important is making sure there's 
appropriate default processes built in. Obviously, these are in place between our clients and those independent locations, as well as ourselves. That's one of the key developments from our side that's been very beneficial for our clients. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree. This was a key area of focus in phase five and then heading into phase six for the buy side clients that want to be able to face off to to one custodian or one tri-party agent and have a comprehensive solution. Carrying on with this, what do you think was the most challenging aspect of the phase five implementation, Sagar? And as we look ahead, what sort of advice can you give to the phase six participants as they are really now engaged in their preparations? I'll pair the advice and challenges in the same thoughts. So I guess one thing is pick your solution as soon as possible. Phase six is September of next year, but that's fast approaching. And there's many parts with implementing the overall workflow. And you may have multiple custodians, internal teams impacted, technology vendors, and counterparties. And that just complicates the whole overall implementation in general. So it's important you have enough time not only to design the model and the solution, but also set up the solution as early as possible, accounting for any sort of hiccups or unexpected scenarios. They may require problem solving across multiple parties, not just internally within your own organization. So just build some time in for that. In the past, we've seen clients pick solutions or change their models late in the game, and those had impacts to service providers and their respective counterparties. So, you know, prioritization implications are key to consider. So speed is key. Another thing is when you're managing the initiative itself, structure the right internal teams and project teams, right? Make sure there's clear ownership throughout. Strong project management and governance is, is, is important. I think metrics are important as well. Obviously, you can get very granular with metrics, but what I would say is develop metrics which are easy to compute, but also have a meaningful indication of where the project stands. Along with metrics and the project management, transparency is key. Make sure the right people have light of sight into the overall status of the project, and they, and they have accountability, quite frankly. And about accountability in terms of deadlines, hold people to them, whether it's internal, with counterparties, or service providers, uh, make sure the expectations are clear to all. And lastly, resources aren't abundant. So you may need to prioritize and sequence deliverables. Be pretty smart about it. Like I said, there's many moving parts. So sequencing and prioritizing is important. And I'll say one last thing. I think Rob alluded to this earlier in terms of like specific jurisdictions for people to consider the funding implications of the eligibility schedules that they're negotiating with their counterparties. So ensure you're working with your own operations teams, your own collateral teams, you're thinking about the practicalities of sourcing the collateral and posting the specific types of collateral. From an agent perspective, at least, that caught operations teams slightly by surprise is in relation to the 15% concentration limit with certain jurisdictions and eligibility requirements. Now, a standard 15% limit across the board means up to seven different securities from seven different issuers that are required. So some securities have large minimum denomination, so which essentially means when exposures are very low between your counterparties, clients may have to overfund securities and receive zero collateral value for a large part of the holdings just, just to collateralize a counterpart. So that's just an example of something to think about early on. That's really helpful. Rob, we get to hear your thoughts on this topic as well in terms of challenging aspects of phase five and sort of guidance as we headed to phase six. I agree with all of those things. I think we need to remember that phase six is a vast change in scope in terms of the number of entities and the number of pairings. And phase five, the most challenging part really was that legal framework in terms of the timing of that and negotiation between our clients and their counterparties just due to the sheer volume of agreements that they were looking at. It might sound simple, but 
prioritization is going to be key, prioritizing relationships based on the trading activity, really just focusing on key and material terms and, and not underestimating the amount of time that it's going to take to actually follow up with counterparties. There was a lot more back and forth on these agreements than that we were expecting, given that they are industry standard documents. It kind of linked into that thing around eligibility. I think it's also really important to consider what either the collateral system that you use or your collateral provider can support and consider the impact of those of those decisions. So like work consultatively with whoever is providing you with those services just to make sure that everything that you're agreeing is in scope. A lot of people underestimated the amount of time it was going to take to actually build out the required file formats for SIM and GRID. So wherever your trades currently reside, which will ultimately end up feeding a calculator, really making sure that you are getting to grips with or working with a provider that, that already understands the taxonomy of how you're going to map those trades over from you know how they're currently formatted to the formats that are needed to calculate SIM in particular. I'd say speak to your existing and potential service providers and counterparties early on. There's a wealth of knowledge out there that's been accumulated between phases one to five. And I think we're now in a position where people really do know what they're doing and they know what to expect. So, you know, do lean on those out there that, that have that knowledge and can really work consultatively with you. Reiterating what Saga said, the deadlines, they are there for a reason. Prioritise work as you approach those deadlines. Thanks, Rob. And we're three months, a bit over three months past the phase five go live, which was on the 1st of September, which is a huge milestone of the industry. So as we look back over the past three months, what advice would you give clients in this post-go-live phase? User acceptance testing is important. UAT testing is important. But it's not as good as production testing, right? So production testing, in my opinion, is critical to ensure success. So what I would suggest is a lot of these accounts, especially in phase six, they're not going to see any sort of collateral being posted for a very, very long time. What I suggest is doing periodic tests with your counterparties, low value, to make sure the pipes are still working or working in general. The last situation you want to be in is a year and a half down the line, you need to post collateral for the reg requirement and there's something missing within a setup, within an operational communication mechanism and whatnot. Just to add to that on the threshold monitoring side, I would say you know having that process in place to monitor thresholds and really understand the direction that your IM is going in is really important. In particularly volatile markets, you really need to be able to assess the impact of trading decisions and really try and project out when you think you're first going to cross the threshold. So I think in combination with that and then having you know, continued production testing to just make sure that the pipes are working and that everything's set up helps to you know, avoid any issues down the track when you do end up going in scope. Thanks both. Any, any final comments to leave our listeners with today? going back to one of my earlier thoughts, but to be very specific is focus on what's important to you for go live, right? Don't get bogged down with some of the details that are, you know, I guess secondary or that can be managed post go live. So for example, when it comes to legal negotiations, eligibility, when it comes to certain securities markets open with solution and service providers, focus on what's important, what's absolutely needed for day one, and then focus on the rest afterwards to ensure that you're going to meet the, the reg deadline. I would agree. Keep the scope focused and tight. And Rob, what about you? To reaffirm something I said earlier on, I think that prioritization is really key. So uh, you know, prioritize the pairings that you're going to need first from a documentation uh, standpoint. And then also just getting out there and, and speaking to the providers and really leveraging the wealth of expertise that's been built up in the industry over the last five phases. 
what we're repeating and we speak to many clients on the topic is get ready early. The sheer volume of clients impacted in the next phase is huge. I think the key to success is certainly work with your providers early, work with your counterparties early and ensure that, you know, you have your documentation in place and your operating model agreed in good time. And we have a lot of lessons that we've learned from phase five. So I think as an industry, we're very well placed as we're heading into phase six. Thank you to all of our listeners for taking the time to join this podcast today. It's been our pleasure. And any further information, of course, can be coordinated by your sales and client service representatives here at JP Morgan. And please feel free to, to reach out to them. I would also advise that this communication is provided for information purposes only. It's not intended as an offer or solicitation of the purchase, sale, or tender of any financial instruments. Please visit jpmorgan.com for more information, including important disclosures. 2021, JP Morgan Chase & Co. All rights reserved. This episode has been recorded on Thursday, the 16th of December, 2021. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is intended for institutional clients only, and the views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of JP Morgan Chase and Company and its affiliates. Together, JP Morgan and do not constitute research or recommendation, advice or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. Reference products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. JP Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures. Thank you.